Boom. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Nate the Effing Great. Welcome to Brace for Impact. I am your impact player of Wrestle Attic Radio. And a lot of times when I do these, actually every time I've done this, I've only done the reviews for the Impact show in the past. And I am going to continue to do that. I'm also going to do something else here. I'm going to try and shorten the review just a little bit kind of cut trim off the fat for some of these but i'm also going to talk about one if not two things that are going on in impact wrestling right now that i feel need to be addressed and i definitely do have one thing that i really want to talk about when it comes to current day impact wrestling so i will actually get to that as a as soon as we get done with this promo so we are covering bound for glory 2005 ladies and gentlemen this took place in Orlando, Florida at the Impact Zone with an attendance of 900 people. So jam-packed, practically sold out, and the buy rates went up 30,000 buy rates for this show. Tagline was, A Time for Greatness, October 23rd, 2005. Guys, they had an opening package where they were highlighting basically the past year of all the pay-per-views that they have done on this major scale, including adding kind of these nice little quippets to the the past events that they've done. So they're talking about, you know, they have an unbreakable spirit. They show no surrender. They reached a turning point. Everything like that. It was really kind of cool how they did this. And it was really great to see this kind of opening. It was possibly one of my favorite openings of a pay-per-view, especially a TNA pay-per-view, in quite some time. So, yeah, no, I'm really excited to talk about this one. They actually also recapped the four-way matchup in the show, but I'm actually just going to talk about it right now. Sanjay Dunt defeated Alex Shelley, Austin Aries, and Roderick Strong in a four-way matchup that lasts 12 minutes and 7 seconds. So with that being said, we go right into the opening matchup, guys, which was Samoa Joe versus Hushin Thunder Liger. This is only my second matchup that I've seen with Hushin Thunder Liger when I first started watching wrestling. The first one was actually, no, actually, I stand corrected. This would only be my third match with Hushin Thunder Liger because he actually wrestled twice at the Sacrifice show next year. So I got double the dose there. Got a good dose here. Of course, he battled in uh, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. First one, yes. So nothing but really good excitement when it came to this matchup. We're watching again. Samoa Joe gets a great entrance where we have the Polynesian kind of tribal deal where you have people banging drums and they're doing like a little nice little dance footwork deal. It was really cool to see that. Liger comes in, streamers are just thrown at him. It's a great deal. Uh, Simon Enoki at ringside, who was the president of New Japan, and I believe he might still be the president. I might be wrong. This is in 2005. The lot could have changed in 17 years. So more than likely, not too much. Uh, Samoa Joe literally just take it to Liger early on, but we get a drop toehold by Fusion Thunder Liger, followed by a drop kick. Dive to the outside onto Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe counters a crossbody. It hits a beautiful Samoan drop. We get the corner. Shining Wizard. Snapmare. A chop. Kick. 
and knee drop, snap, power slam, Liger key hits a spin kick into the corner, then the foot and then stomps the foot and then hits a fisherman suplex, which honestly was really cool to see Samojo get his uh, just get lifted up by a guy like Fusion Thunder Liger. He has a frog splash, nothing's really putting him away. Joe hits an integuri style kick, then Liger is able to counter Samojo, who tries to get Liger up the top rope, then he goes up to the top rope as well, kind of going for a I guess it looked like a superplex. I could be wrong. But Liger hits a variation of the running Liger bomb for a near three count. Muscle Buster, Coquina Clutch by Joe for the win. I give this one a B. I thought that this matchup at seven minutes and 27 seconds could have gone longer. I really do. This was one of those matches that I really kind of enjoyed seeing the mixed cross between the two uh, styles that these guys have brought in. But all in all, I still enjoyed the matchup. I thought it was really good. They talk about the fan fest highlights, showing people are you know talking with with the wrestlers, getting autographs, stuff like that. Uh, one of the lines that I really got out of this was, "No more soap operas, just wrestling." Total shot on WWE. And in all honesty, this TNA definitely has more wrestling to it than WWE had. And watching some of the older Impact shows, I really did see that. I really did see there was more wrestling involved with that. So there are two people that they highlight in the audience that are the early version of the gut check. They are the winners, uh, John Bolin and Jamie Dauncey. John Bolin, he actually will be featured on the show within the next couple of months. And Jamie will not be featured on here until actually a few months later. Because she does not really get too involved until Slammiversary of next of 2006. Uh, basically what happens for them is that since they won the gut check deal, they're going to go to the New Japan Dojo in LA to train. And then they're going to be able to come back to TNA. So it's really kind of cool that they talk a little bit about that. And they really kind of talk about, hey, they're going to be coming back better than ever. The Diamonds in the Rough are backstage. Simon Diamond is just hyping them up, saying like, oh, we're going to win this, no problem. We get the matchup, which is Diamonds in the Rough, David Young, Elix Skipper, and Simon Diamond taking on Apollo, Shark Boy, and Sonny Saaki. We get a great... <laughs> uh, we get a nice uh, Diamonds in the Rough sign which has all three members of the Diamonds of the Rough people. They basically look like diamonds, like David Young, Elix Skipper. They look like really shiny diamonds. And then Simon basically is just shown like a piece of crap. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, nothing really too much I can say about this matchup, you guys. I love seeing Shark Boy wrestling here. So, uh, Sunny Saaki, nothing really too much I can say about this. Uh, Apollo is just another... Major deal. He does a lot of cutters in this matchup. He does a cutter. He does a pop-up cutter. Uh, ultimately, though, David Young hits a spine buster on Sonny Saaki to pick up the victory here. I'm definitely going to try and shorten down, like I said, some of these reviews. But like I said, there's not much really much to tell about this matchup. It's just kind of... Eh. It's a, it's a C-quality matchup at 7 minutes and 3 seconds. Nothing really to say about this. Diamonds are off. Hey, they get their final... First victory. Um, I guess you could also say that this is one of the few times where you see Shark Boy lose on a pay-per-view, which kind of makes me sad. Like I said, they recap the whole 
four-way deal. But when they said that they're going to show like the matchup, they only showed like the finish, and that was it. Which I was kind of bummed about. I thought they would show some of the highlights and then go to the finish, but I guess not. So they also show Raven threatening Larry Zabisco, saying that he should be the one that faces Jeff Jarrett for the world title. Rhino gets involved. He <laughs> he mentions a lot of ECW references. He talks about uh, mentioning the fact that he that Raven crucified somebody in ECW, which I thought, damn, can't believe they brought that back up. Took a man's family. Oh, crap. We're getting a Sandman deal. This is very interesting. And he asked the question, did a girl get in your head? And it's kind of one of those weird things. Where I'm like, why did he say this? Is he basically calling Raven a pansy? What What does that mean? I, I don't understand. Uh, they get into a brawl. We see Rhino Gore, one of the... Uh, Cassidy Riley. There we go. One of Raven's flock members, basically. Uh, Shane's talking to Jeff Jarrett and Gail Kim. Jeff had to call the hospital basically to confirm that Kevin Nash was there, had chest pains, but he's still not quite convinced. He says, screw Rhino, screw Hardy, screw Abyss, screw Sabu, screw Raven. He doesn't care who he's got to face tonight. He's going to walk out as NWA World Champion. Monty Brown is like, I should be the one facing you. Smells, I smell fear, and I want to shot you. And of course, Jeff's southern tongue Tries to basically tell him, don't worry about me. Worry about your opponent, Rhino. Of course, we get the, you're going to feel the bounce, period, from Monty Brown. And Jeff had a really good line here where he said, it's playoff time and you can't afford a loss. I thought, damn, that was, that was good. That was good. So during this deal, they mentioned the fact that they're dedicating the show to the Crusher, one, and I thought this was really cool because of the fact that, A, it was a Wisconsin reference, Milwaukee's own Crusher, but also kind of feel like it came out of left field, just hearing that. But the Crusher did, unfortunately, pass away during this time, so it was really cool that they did that. Kind of moving on to that, to the matchup next, which is Lance Hoyt taking on Monty Brown. We get some great power advantages from these guys. Um, Mike Brown, he kind of slightly oversells the flapjack a little bit, almost landing on his head. Uh, we got a chop off between the two of them. Hoyt punches. We see, oh my gosh, Monty Brown hitting the alpha bomb on Hoyt was amazing. That was great. Hoyt is able to get a choke slam and Monty Brown's able to hit the pounce in the end for the victory at 6 minutes and 29 seconds. Honestly, I gave this one a B. It was a short matchup, but it definitely showcased each one of these individuals' power game. So I give them a lot of credit for creating this matchup and putting on really well. I really just enjoyed that. Like I said, just it's a good matchup. It's short. It's simple. Moving on. We have some global impact highlights because they want to show the fact that there's a big demand for TNA all around the world. And in all honesty, they do start to get some international exposure with during this time, but they don't really do any shows, I believe, until a few years later, if I'm not mistaken. We get a backstage deal where the three live crew, they're ready to go. BG James is just ready to take out Team Canada. They're ready to just show that they are ready to knock out Team Canada, no problem. 
Kip offers basically to neutralize Scott Demore. We see BG and uh, Truth. They're like, we're all for this. Conan's literally just like, take your little you know, offer and shove it up your ass. And one of the highlights of this is Kip James' shirt, where it just says, I'm Kip James, bitch. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's that's kind of interesting. So we go to the next matchup, which is Team Canada, A1, Bobby Roode, and Eric Young taking on the three live crew with BG James, Conan, and Ron Killings. And also Scott Demore is in Team Canada's corner. Go Moving on from that, EY gets a little jumpy. Which means it's coming. The paranoia character is slowly coming in. Conan does his roll in Alabama Slam, a hip toss. He's throwing his shoe. We get the go wide from three live crew. Rude gets dance stomped. Truth goes up. He does the splits. He does the kick to Rude. Rude does a full Nelson slam to Truth to get the advantage. A1 with a nice running power slam. Truth with a lie detector to Rude. BG James, he comes in like a house of fire. He punches everybody and then boots Eric Young and then gets a knee drop. Uh, Truth thrown into the Ultimate X railing that they have on the outside. Uh, ultimately, though, we get a hockey stick shot to the back of BG James' head. Eric Young pins BG for the win at 6 minutes and 8 seconds. Definitely the worst matchup of the night. This is a D. This is just nothing. It's a match of nothing, really. I really just got nothing out of it. And I think this is where we're starting to see more of the slow breakup of three live crew with each other. Because I know that we're going to see some new age action coming in the future. That being said, Shane. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. There was one other thing that happened before this. So Team Canada, they're holding up Conan as Kip comes in with a chair. And he bashes A1 with the chair. Everybody else scatters. Basically, he's showing that he is in unity with 3 Live Crew, which, in all honesty, now I realize what's going to happen next, and I'm not looking forward to it. It's, it's kind of cringeworthy. So Shane talks with Larry Zabisco, basically stating, you know, hey, what's going to happen with the world title? Larry's like, I don't know yet. I don't know. I'm going to make a phone call. And that's it. That was literally it. We get to the Ultimate X match. Okay, this is actually this is one that I really love to talk about. So, Petey Williams versus Matt Bentley versus Chris Saban. A lot of you might remember that Matt Bentley at the last show mentioned the fact that he wants to bring the Ultimate X back to Bound for Glory. Petey Williams and Chris Saban, they're up to the task. Let's talk about what happens here. So, we get a double team hip toss to Petey Williams. Petey Williams with a suplex and back breaker to a back suplex, I should say, to Chris Saban. Bentley does a German to Petey and a super inverted atomic drop to Saban as they are on the ropes, which I thought that was a really cool spot. They're basically going in towards the center, and Bentley's able to grab him and drop Saban down for inverted atomic drop, and obviously. That messes up his knee a little bit, but it doesn't get him out of the matchup. PD gets a nice little face full of Tracy's boobs because why not at this point? PD Williams is like literally just, whoa, man, that was cool. Saving hits an insiguri to PD, and then he pulls down Bentley, who hits an elbow drop onto a downed PD Williams. I thought that was cool. 
So then we see Saban pick up Petey Williams. He does a razor's edge to the corner, but Matt Bentley's also in the corner as well. That was a really cool spot. Tornado DDT taking both men down. He goes for a sunset flip bomb to P. Williams on the outside, but PD's able to counter that into a leg drop onto the apron. P. Williams hits an outside hurricane run to Bentley. Bentley with a neck breaker and a cutter combo. That's something I've never seen before, and I love it. Sabin power bombs Bentley from the ro- Oh my gosh. So they're both climbing on the ropes, and they're co- going towards the X. As they're doing this, they're facing each other, and Bentley just wraps his legs around Saban. I think he's trying to go for like a choke or something. And Saban grabs Bentley, drops him down into a power bomb. That was a crazy scary shot spot. Saban gets tangled up in the ropes, and we get a Petey Williams. Oh Canada. Petey and Bentley are thrown to the outside. Chris Saban hits a moonsault to both of them. This matchup is getting awesome. It's getting intense. Saban pulls down Bentley from the ropes, and the X1 falls as well. As this happens, nobody's allowed to touch it. So they literally are told to keep fighting on the outside, and we're going to put the X back in the center. They do that. Jeez. Uh, and then they basically do the exact same spot where... Uh, Bentley and Saban drop the X drops, but it goes into Petey Williams' hand, and that's it. Petey Williams wins the matchup. So Saban and Bentley, they're pissed off about this whole ordeal, and honestly, it was a, oh gosh, this was a D matchup. The only reason why I'm giving this a D matchup, and the fact that it goes 13 minutes and 13 seconds, my God. This sucks. I really don't want to give the X Division uh, Ultimate X match that could lower grading, but the finish killed it. The finish really made the matchup just really rough to watch. Everything else was great, but the finish is what really killed the matchup and what made it just really rough. So we get a deal where Jeff Jarrett is beating Raven down at a BCW show, thanks to America's Most Wanted. We see Team 3D get decimated by America Most Wanted. They won the tag titles from The Naturals, thanks to Jeff Jarrett and Gail Kim, which is setting up the next matchup here, which is America's Most Wanted defending their titles against The Naturals. And guys, I forgot to mention the fact that Gail Kim is now a part of TNA. She appeared on Impact a couple of weeks prior to the show, paired up with America's Most Wanted and Jeff Jarrett, part of Clan Jarrett. And, yeah, no, this is where I start really appreciating Gail Kim as a awesome, awesome individual. Uh, we're first time seeing the new title uh, match logos. Basically, how they did it before was that they just had the, you know, this champion, the TNA X Division championship, and they just had the letters and, like, a background kind of deal. This time around, they actually have the letters, but they actually have, like, a backdrop of what the titles look like, which was cool. So the taglines for this are the NWA titles number one on most wanted list. Basically, America's Most Wanted have wanted the tag team titles for so long. They were going to do everything that it took to get those titles back, and they did. Naturals, of course, get a rematch and a history of violence between these two teams. I've mentioned that with these last few months and these last few shows. Naturals and America's Most Wanted have definitely been building themselves up to this matchup. And honestly, you guys, it works. 
So we get a brawl to start between these guys. Storm tries to skin the cat, but uh, Chase Stevens power bombs him into the rail. This one I thought was a cool spot. So Andy Douglas knocks, uh, pushes James Storm off of the ropes as he's trying to do the skin the cat. Chase Steven catches him, and yeah, he power bombs him into the rail. Real spot. Chris Harris tries to reason with them, but nope, they get beat down by the Naturals. Chris Harris gets whipped into the rails hard twice. Gail Kim distracts Andy Douglas, and Storm throws him into the uh, Ultimate X post. Andy Douglas gets busted open. We see the Eye of the Storm. Chase Stevens comes in like a house of fu- fire, and he also hits the dreaded Spuggingo. Naturals with a spin-out knee buster and then a neck breaker. That, whew, that looked great. Gail Kim hands Chris Harris some powder, but that powder gets blasted into his face. Storm is like, hey, you okay, buddy? Chris Harris is like, ah, natural. Picks him up, catatonic to him. Goes for the death sentence on Chris Harris and hits it for a near three count. Oh, that's right. Didn't death, They hit the death sentence on Chris Harris. I forgot about that. So they go for the natural disaster, their fit, tag team finishing move, but Kim gets involved. Uh, Andy Douglas gets to the outside. He gets cuffed by Storm and by Gail Kim. Chris Harris is based. Uh, Chris St- Chase Stevens is fighting on his own against these individuals. He's doing the best that he can, but he gets a beer bottle to the head, a death sentence, and there is the victory for America's Most Wanted. After the matchup, Andy Douglas gets assaulted with some punches and a chair shot. I honestly gave this matchup an A because of the fact that it was so brutal. Even though this matchup's only 10 minutes and 37 seconds, it was the amount of brutality you would expect for every single thing that took place in this matchup. It was exactly what it needed to be. They told a great story in this deal. The buildup was great. And in that short period of time, they delivered a really good matchup. And I think that's really ultimately what needed to be done here. So, with that being said, we go into the next match, which is Monsters Ball 2, featuring Sabu versus Jeff Hardy versus Rhino versus the Monster Abyss. Mentioned this before with the Monsters Ball match between Abyss, Monty Brown, and I believe it was DDP that was involved with that one. That 24 hours before the show, they were locked in a, each of them were locked in isolation, basically being told that they can't have water, can't have food for 24 hours until the show took place. So they are in for this, and really this hype you need for this, four men, no rules, only one winner. James Mitchell gets a chance to talk about how Abyss has experience with the isolation, talks about a little bit of his childhood, and comparing how this match is basically like putting a, a member of the army who had the purple heart and going into a paintball fight. Either you're going to see a lot of paint or you're going to see copious amounts of blood. That I thought that was a good night. That was a good line. That was one of those things where I'm like, oh, that, that just gave me a little bit of chills, everyone here. Uh, basically, everybody seems to bring their own weapons in this. Sabu is just tossing a chair into everybody's head, because why not? Does a dive onto Rhino. Hari does a corner splash to Abyss, and then a poetry motion to the outside. That was kind of nice. They brawl with each other all over the arena. Sabu gets busted open, but he dives out again. 
Hardy with a Whisper in the Wind to the Abyss. Abyss hits a shock treatment to Hardy. Rhino does chair shots to everybody. Poetry in motion to Abyss again. Sabu, he hits a DDT onto the chair. Rhino gets busted open from that DDT and hits everybody with a kendo stick. He goes with the Goron on Abyss, but Abyss catches him, choke slams him onto the chair. Abyss, he hits Hardy with a ladder that was introduced in this matchup. Rhino smacking Sabu with a weight belt. Sab Abyss sets up a couple of tables, as does Sabu, because it's their right. Sabu jumps off of the chair onto the top ropes and leg drops Rhino onto the uh, through the table that's on the outside. But then Jeff Hardy's just kind of like, oh, that's that's cool, but um, I can do better. He knocks Abyss out to the point where he's on the two tables that are by the stairway, by the uh, ramp. Hardy goes up to the top of the entryway tunnel and does a swanton bomb, one of the most beautiful swantons I've ever seen, but also one of the most brutal, onto Abyss. We see Sabu get kendo-sticked again. Rhino gets gored into a wedge chair. Sabu goes for a triple jump moonsault and hits it on Rhino. Hits Abyss with a chair, as is his right. Abyss throws Sabu onto the outside through a table. Rhino gores Abyss through a table in the corner. And then he thinks, you know what, I'm not extreme enough. He picks up Jihardi, goes to the second rope, and hits a Rhino driver on him. A pile driver from the second rope. It looked brutal. One, two, three. Rhino picks up the victory. A quality matchup. This was absolutely insane, but it was absolutely a beautiful car wreck. I absolutely cannot get enough of this matchup. And I love the fact that they did an amazing job. Shane finally gets an answer from Larry Zabisco, basically asking, well, what's going on? Why are we not getting a number one contender? Larry says, we are getting a number one contender. There's going to be a 10-man over-the-top row gauntlet match to determine who will face Jeff Jarrett right here tonight. Shane's just like, that's not fair because you guys know who your opponent's going to be. Jeff Jarrett basically is stating the same thing. Larry Zabisco's like, yeah, I don't care. It's my, it's my rules, blah, blah, blah. Oh, in this matchup, the Monsters Ball match lasted 12 minutes and 20 seconds. It was it was a beautiful 12 minutes and 20 seconds, though. Up next, we have the Iron Match. This is another two matchup. This is a 30-minute Iron Man match for the X Division Championship. AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels, two. This was cool. So, build-up literally is just... Daniels wants his title back, but he wants an Iron Man matchup to beat down... AJ Styles, all it is, you know, 30 minutes where you have to pin your opponent so many times and have the most decisions before the time runs out. Iron Man match two, uh, sudden death brought sudden victory to Styles. They mentioned that fact, thinking that it might go into over, it might go into an overtime. It may, in fact, be a situation where AJ Styles picks up the victory via sudden death. Daniels goes on the offense early. He hits a gorilla press, but AJ Styles comes back with an arm drag, backbreaker, drop kick. He does a dive onto the crowd. He does this deal where he literally is trying to wear down Daniels, and this is going on for maybe like five, maybe eight minutes, something like that, where he's just headlocking him. He is just trying to cut off that circulation to Daniels' head. And he also had a funny deal where he has him in a headlock and you just, you see him mouth the words, I'm going to pop your head like a pimple. <laughs> I thought that was great. These two are getting, you're both awesome chance. Love it. 
Uh, he's also utilizing some counters effectively to just get him back into that headlock, back into the deal where he cannot allow Daniels to get any kind of resource for uh, any kind of victory, any kind of offense. It works for a while until he goes for a death lock, leg lock, and a reverse chin lock onto Daniels. He has a little bit of advantage, but Daniels bites his hand to break out of it. So we reach the 20-minute marker, and <laughs> for some reason it goes from 20 minutes to 9 minutes. And I'm like, whoa, that those 10 minutes went by really fast. But then they fixed it to 19 minutes. So a little bit of a oopsie by TNA, but it was also kind of funny. Styles clotheslines Daniels into the ring, which I thought was great. Uh, we think that he's going to continue this offense, but Christopher Daniels hits a T-bone to get the advantage. Tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. Uh, Styles is failing to do some roll-ups onto Daniels, and this allows Daniels to hit lock in the Koji clutch, which unfortunately does not give him a decision. Daniel, uh, Styles gets to the ropes. We see an Asai Moonsault by Christopher Daniels. Styles counters the Tilt-A-Whirl backbreaker and is able to hit the springboard inverted backflip DDT, which is always beautiful to see him do. We see him hit clotheslines and then a spin kick, which leaves Daniels kind of dazed and he just falls flat on his face. He does a hammerlock back suplex, and it looks like Daniels lands on his head. It looked brutal, but it was great. Uh, pump handle gut buster. He goes for a springboard, but Daniels is able to counter that into the Death Valley driver. He does a bit of a toss uh, into a slam from the top rope corner. He hits a goes for a neckbreaker, but AJ Styles counters it into a suplex into a neckbreaker. Daniels counters a springboard inverted DDT into the Blue Thunder Bomb. He hits the BME. AJ Styles, he hits a Torture Rack Bomb. We're just getting you know, near falls after near falls after near falls. Daniels, he hits a high knee that sends AJ to the outside. And then we see a suicide dive. Pele kicked by AJ as Daniels is coming into the ring. Uh, we see AJ go hits a Swanton Dive. Onto Daniels to the outside. They slowly get back towards the ring. Daniels is still on the outside. AJ's in the ring. And Daniels grabs AJ, picks him up from inside the ring, and does a back suplex to the floor on the outside, which looked absolutely brutal. Even there's a spot where they show AJ Styles' leg is bruised up from that, which could have also been from a spot where he hit the uh, steel steps but I could be wrong. We see a couple shock pins that only get a two count for these guys. AJ's goes for a handspring, but lands himself into a German suplex from Daniels, but hits the Brody line on Daniels. Some nice back and forth. Daniels goes for the Angels' wings, but AJ Styles does the counter like an unbreakable, where he does like a Northern Lights deal. One, two. Daniels is able to bridge himself up. He goes for the Angel's Wings again. Beige Styles, he counters, goes to the jackknife. He's able to roll himself up. He nails the Styles Clash for the first and only fall in this matchup with two seconds remaining on here. AJ Styles retains the X Division Championship. A quality matchup. Honestly, their first matchup was better than this one, but this is still a really good matchup nonetheless. It was absolutely fun. It was something that was a lot different, and I think that's one of the reasons why it is so high up, because unlike their first encounter where they were just 
beating each other down and they were just trying to, you know, uh, do like fancy flips and stuff like that. This was more of a, we got to find a different way to, you know, bring these, bring this guy down. We got to find another way to make, make this more in my favor. And I do love the fact that AJ did that. So that is exactly what happened. All right. We go into the semi-main, which is the 10 man gauntlet matchup for the number one contendership for the NWA world heavyweight championship matchup. And guys, Tito Ortiz is the special guest referee again. So fingers crossed, maybe there's a title change. The combatants are Samoa Joe, Ron Killings, Sabu, Lance Hoyt, Abyss, Jeff Hardy, Monty Brown, Rhino, Kip James, and AJ Styles. Honestly, guys, I do have some notes for this, but honestly, there's not really much to talk about this matchup. Even though it lasts for 14 minutes and 12 seconds, there really isn't too much to talk about this matchup other than one major thing that I can mention from this is that this features one of Monty Brown's biggest botches where he does a power slam to Jeff Hardy, which is supposed to send both of them over, but he only gets Jeff Hardy over. And then you just see him kind of throw himself over the top rope, looking like a, I'm not going to lie, looking like an idiot, which sucks, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. Uh, that was just that was just a rough thing to watch. But maybe I can go at least into some of the eliminations right here. So we see Jeff Hardy and Monty Brown. They get eliminated first because that's how it is. Rhino eliminates Hoyt. Samoa Joe eliminates Sabu. We see Abyss eliminating Kip James. Samoa Joe is able to eliminate Truth. Uh, Samoa Joe locks in the Coquina Clutch to AJ Styles, and then Abyss throws Styles and Joe over. And then we see a gore by Rhino. He throws Abyss over, and that's it. Rhino is the number one contender for the NWA World Heavyweight title matchup. I'm torn between this one because it was kind of a C going towards a D matchup. I'm just going to keep it a C for right now. Like I said, nothing really eventful happened to this. They had the structure where it was the first person comes out after two minutes. And then every person that would come in later would come in at one minute. So there was that. And then there was the fact that there was just a lot of dead space and just nothing happening. So that's one of the reasons why I just really did not do that much. But it was a great way to... You know, build Rhino up as the you know number one contender for the title. So we automatically go into the next matchup, which is the NWA World Title matchup. Rhino challenging Jeff Jarrett with, like I said, Tito Ortiz as a special guest referee. Again, a matchup where there's not much to talk about, but we'll go into it. Jeff talks about how it didn't matter who it was; he was going to send somebody into a coffin, to a casket, which he has security bring out, and apparently it's going to be Rhino. Drop kick by Jeff tosses. Uh, him into the rails, the announcer table, and to the casket. He hits two top rope clotheslines. He goes for a third, but Rhino, he chokes him, but then kicks him in the balls. He goes for the gore, but Jeff Jarrett dodges it. Tito catches Gail Kim, who tries to get involved, and then he's taking Gail Kim out of the matchup. Jeff Jarrett uses the guitar and Rhino for the two count on him. America's most wanted gets involved, but Tito Ortiz, he knocks both of them out. We see Rhino hit the gore on Jarrett 
for the victory at 5 minutes and 30 seconds. And your new NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Rhino. C matchup. There was nothing really spectacular about this, but what happens at the end of this makes it fun. So, Rhino gets beat down by America's Most Wanted and by Jeff Jarrett. We see the three live crew. They're trying to come in and save Rhino. And then we see Team Canada get involved. And they're beating down the crew. We see uh, Team Canada come out. They're beating down the crew. And Rhino gets thrown into the casket. Jeff Jarrett's on top of the casket with the NWA World title. Like, yeah, I'm the champion even though I'm not. Team 3D makes their return. They come in. They beat down everybody. Hit the 3D to Eric Young. And then they hit... And they throw him into the casket, and that's kind of the end. Ultimately, this was a B show. I really don't have too much major to say about this. It was a good show, but ultimately, the main event, I think, is what kind of dragged this event just a little bit. It was kind of a hard watch. But at the same time, it's still a kind of a fun show when you watch some of the things like Joe and Liger, uh, the Ultimate X, up until the finish, was a good match. Styles and Daniels always put on nice wrestling clinics. Money Brown and Lance Hoyt, they're fun to watch. The tag team title match was great. Monsters Ball may have actually been my match of the night because of everything that took place in that matchup. It was between that or the Iron Man match. Those two were really good. So ultimately, that is my thoughts on Bound for Glory. Good show, but still has some moments where they could have improved just a little bit. Now, with that being said, let's move on to some current TNA Impact Wrestling news. So, this is the only news I want to cover because this is the one that really kind of stuck out to me. This past week on Impact, we saw Mickey James come out onto the show. And she is talking about her career. She's talking about all the hurdles that she has overcome. And one of the cool things is that she mentioned that in November, it's going to be marking 24 years in the business. And she's talking about everything that she's done, all the things that she did you know, in her early career, some of the things that she's done to really make it in the business, all the... Like I said, the hurdles that she had to go through. Uh, she mentioned the fact, you know, some people were saying like, you know, oh, you're too old, you're too fat, you're this, you're blah, blah, blah. And she's talking about all that. I'm just reminded of all of those things that she had to go through. I'm thinking, oh, man, why? Why did Mickey have to go through that stuff? She's awesome. She's amazing. She didn't deserve all that, you know, unnecessary just critiques about her. She's still really good. And she basically puts it like this. She says that there are a lot of talented women in the world of professional wrestling, including an impact. And she always says that she would leave. if she feels like she could not hang with the, you know, with the women in the locker room, basically. And she has made the decision to prove herself one more time. She wants to go on one last rodeo and prove herself as the top tier woman that she is. How is she going to do that? Well, she is going to earn her way to become the impact knockouts champion again. 
So she is laying out an open challenge to every woman on the roster, whether you're just getting into the business, whether you're a veteran, anybody that she is, you know, it could be even somebody that she's even faced. She literally is telling people that she is going to fight them. She's going to earn her way to that point. And she is going to earn that number one contendership spot for the Impact Knockouts Championship. But there's a catch. If she loses on any part of this journey, she is going to walk away. That means that she is going to retire. And this was one of those things where I heard this and I watched this and I immediately thought this reminds me of the really shitty game that was WWE 2K20. It had to be 2K20 where they had a storyline where you were teaming up with Mickey James and basically whatever match she lost, she would retire. That is what this reminded me of. However, I'm going to state this, that while it does have those kind of feelings, it feels different because the way that Mickey delivered that promo, she definitely wanted to prove herself as the be all end all. And she wanted to prove herself as the best. It wasn't one of those things where she was just ready to give up. She wants to prove herself as the best one more time. She wants to prove herself as the top tier talent that she is. She is taking that story and making it her own, which I admire the hell out of. It's one of those things where I saw the story and there's a part of me that wishes that something like that could have been brought into the real life deal. And this is where they're doing it. And in all honesty, it is better late than never. I am looking forward to seeing these matches that Mickey James produces. Because if this is her last run, I would really love it if she would end her career on her own terms and prove herself as a top-tier talent one more time. Because I truly believe that she is one of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time. She has proven herself in WWE. She's proven herself in Impact. She's proven herself in the independent scene. Honestly, if they gave her a chance in AEW, she would kill it there. I know she would be lost a little bit in the shuffle there, but she'd be one of the standout stars in that deal. Like Chris Statlander is. Like Tony Storm is. Like Jamie Hayter is. Like Britt Baker is. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this all ends up. And... It is something that is really going to keep my attention from now. And I'm, I'm honestly hoping that we see Mickey James go to one more year. That is what I want to, like, want to see. Is that I would love to see Mickey James go one more year and end on 25 years in the business. I really believe that she deserves that one final year of her just literally creating memories for everybody. I'd really love to see that, but I have no control over it.
So I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes down. I've rambled enough about this. Like I said, Impact Wrestling is now really turning into must-see TV because of that. So we're going to see how this goes. I would love to see Mickey go on to be Impact Knockouts Champion one more time and build up to a really good retirement. So, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I've been Nate the F and Great, your Impact Player of Wrestle Attic Radio. And thank you so much for listening in. Be sure to always support us, if you can, by following us on social media at Attic underscore Wrestle on the Twitter, as well as checking us all on our Instagram. Be sure to also check out everybody that's a part of Wrestle Attic Radio. Not only myself from Brace for Impact, but also Fretzelmania's podcast, Young Lions Perspective, and the Kings of the Rings podcast. We have so many great channels that are part of this, and we're only going to get stronger as time goes on. If you really love what we do, one of the things that we would really appreciate is if you check out our merch store, where we have just a complete lineup of absolutely amazing products, you guys. Whether it's shirts, coffee mugs, even shoes, blankets, pillows. There's so much to deliver when it comes to this. You could check out some of my stuff. You could check out some of everybody else's stuff. But we would love to get your support. We really love to see WrestleMania Radio continue to flourish for the years to come. So with that being said, I've been Nate the FN Great. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at RealFNGame. I also am a part of the Game Changer podcast, which I am still working on creating some more ta- uh, content for that show, which I am hoping to release this weekend. And be sure to stay positive, you guys. The world continues to show an ugly side, but there's always a bright light at the end of every tunnel. So we just have to stay positive, support each other, and remember to keep wrestling positive and supportive. Thank you guys so much. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.